Welcome to Talking Wyndham, your weekly insight into the people who make our city surprising, fascinating, vibrant and interesting. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page. Hi and welcome to the Talking Wyndham podcast for the Committee for Wyndham. My name's Kevin Hillier. And a little about the uh, Committee for Wyndham. If you don't know what they're about, it's very simple to find out. Just jump on the website or the Facebook page. All the details are there of how you can become involved, uh, what it's all about, some of the terrific programs that they've run in 2020, which has been an amazing achievement given the circumstances that we've all been working under uh, during this uh, last, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 months. Seems like forever, but it's only been 9, 10 or 11 months. Uh, and also what they've got planned for uh, 2021, all there for you to have a look at on the Facebook page and on the website. So please, uh, a great organisation who've been behind this podcast from the start uh, and bringing you some terrific stories of some of the people, some of the things that are going on uh, behind the scenes in the in the city of Wyndham that you might not have known about that you now know about through this podcast and more importantly, through the Committee for Wyndham. Today we head to Victoria University where there's a bit of a changing of the guard. The Vice-Chancellor and President Peter Dawkins is stepping down after 10 years. We'll find out uh, some of the terrific uh, initiatives that Peter's brought to the table and has, uh, has helped bring to the table as a part of the management team there at uh, Vic Uni. So we'll get into that. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this chat with Peter Dawkins. Peter, thank you so much for your time and uh, congratulations, I guess, is the, is the right word to use here, isn't it? Oh, well, thanks, Kevin. I'm not sure whether congratulations is the right word, but uh, yeah, look, I've been 10 years in the job. It's been a fantastic role and thoroughly enjoyed it, had its challenges along the way, but uh, I think 10 years is pretty good in I'm pleased with what we've achieved at Victoria University and, uh, and I think probably time for me to move on and, and, and have a new person come in, but, but yeah, some sadness with it as well because it's been an amazing journey. Uh, did COVID speed up this uh, this process or uh, <laughs> did COVID sped up and a lot of things for us and slowed a lot of other things down for us? But was the the fact that you got to the end of this year, was, was it always the plan to, to finish up at the end of this year or not? Oh, yes. Yeah, no, COVID didn't have anything to do with it. I, I announced my retirement at the beginning of the year before yep. COVID hit and uh, – it's the, the end of a 10-year period, which is, um, I think, a good long period of being CEO and Vice-Chancellor, and uh, it's you know above average for a Vice-Chancellor, and I think that that's an appropriate time for me to move on. And, um, yeah, look, that, that was announced back in the beginning of Feb. Of course, in March, COVID hit, and uh, it's yeah. been quite a year. I think I'm pleased that, um, I have been able to see out the whole year. I think it would have been very difficult for a transition to happen midstream during the year. And, um, you know, I'm pleased that I've been able to continue leading the university through this uh, this crisis. Not that it's at the end, but that, but we're now uh, we're now at a position where, uh, you know, we've we've come to a significant point in time where the virus has been suppressed. There's the opportunity next year to be moving activities gradually back onto campus. We've got a financial plan for how to deal with the impact and um, and, I, and I feel I can uh, 
Past the battle now. It's been a year where, and we talked to a, a number of people this year on this podcast about uh, Vic University and and uh, both, you know, the, the resilient way that the university has met the challenges and in many ways, I won't say beat the challenges, but but learn to work with the challenges that have been thrown at you in this last seven or eight months. Yeah, look, thanks for that feedback. Um, we're proud of the way we've dealt with it and, uh, you know, our students have, done remarkably well through the years. So um, one of the reasons for that is the new method of teaching of our higher education students that we brought in three years ago in first year and now it applies to all of our bachelor's degree students, our block mode teaching, yep. where students study you know, one subject at a time in small groups in four-week blocks. And that's really transformed the learning experience of the students. And it turned out to be a form of learning that uh, we transitioned very effectively into this off-campus mode. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you, we, we run the same thing one subject time, small classes in Zoom. So you've got, you know, each teacher has their class with about 30 students in, but they do it in Zoom instead of in the classroom. Now, there are some adjustments that have to be made, but that same style where you're working solidly in one subject for four-week block with your students in Zoom, work, you know, translates better than the old lecture method with large classes and so on and that's one of the reasons we worked our way through. The students have performed extremely well, their satisfaction has pretty well held up, their resilience has been good too and uh, yeah, we're delighted how well they've gone and look, an increasing number of them are from Wyndham, by the way, because, uh, you know, the big growth out there and of course we've also got exciting plans for the future of our campus out there but this year, of course, the students have been studying remotely and, and, and in a way, it's not where they are that's been the critical issue, but uh, we're, we're pleased how well the students in Wyndham and everywhere else have done this year. Peter, the, often the uh, the hallmark of whether something's a good idea is uh, the simplicity of it and the fact that everyone says, why didn't we think of that sooner? The block model is is the perfect example of that and uh, it, se- it seems so logical, seems so um, sensible and everything about it seems right. It's a wonder it wasn't done before. It, it, that must be one of the things that in your 10 years that you'll look back on and go, yeah, I- I'm really glad we brought that in. I think that was a significant step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh... You're, you're right. I mean, whenever I describe it to someone, and when they see the results we're getting, they, all, they everyone says, well, it's just an obvious, sensible way to do things, and why don't more people do it? I think that um, more, more universities will do it in the future because yep. it's clearly working so well. But, of course, what happens in many institutions and many industries is you get these ingrained ways of doing things, and, and uh, they're not always easy to change and uh, and this you know this wasn't an easy change but, but it was a very effective one and it was a huge change management process but it went extremely well and so yeah now when we look back we say look it clearly was you know a decision that was justified and it looks like an obvious one in retrospect it's just the size of the decision the size of change the amount of reworking has been done was enormous but it, it did go extremely well and more and more people are looking at it. I think, but but obviously they they realise it's not an easy change. You have to change the way you do everything. You know, your timetabling, your staffing, and um, your infrastructure has to support this small group teaching. And uh, so it's been a big journey, but has had big payoff. Uh, was it met with a lot of resistance or not? Oh, look, you know, I think changes for staff always can be a bit daunting, and there was a bit of resistance early on. And 
And so we had to do a sort of a change negotiation with the union and so on. And um, yep. But the great thing was that once we got it going with our first-year college, that was the first step. We did it in first-year teaching. We recruited new staff into this first-year college. Some of them, incidentally, were previous sessional staff who were outstanding teachers. This is, this is the thing we needed, outstanding teachers who were who were very skilled at working with new students, transitioning them into university. And so they were sort of hand-picked for the quality of their ability to, to teach first-year students. And, but once we got going and they started using this blog model, the staff themselves became the biggest advocates. Uh-huh. And they thoroughly, they, they thoroughly enjoyed it. They could see the students succeeding. It was a very rewarding form of teaching. And they really went on the front foot to persuade the whole of the rest of the university that we should not only do it in first year, we should do it in second and third year as well. And, <laughs> uh, and so from there on, there, there was no turning back. And it got you back in the classroom, didn't it? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> well, I, uh, I decided that if I was going to ask everyone else to do this new form of teaching, which yeah. you know, is, is, does require some change of practice, it requires real skill, and I thought, well, if I expect others to do it, I should be able to do it as well. I also was keen to have the experience because it helped me quiet. And uh, so I went back into the classroom with the first year economic class. And uh, yeah, it was the most rewarding experience of my life, teaching nine hours a week for four weeks with those 30 students and really interactive, collaborative learning, problem solving for the students. You get to know them all. You get to know who's having problems, who's going real well. And uh, you can do that more personalized approach. And uh, yeah, no, it was a great experience. Has uh, COVID-19 made a – it obviously made a, a dramatic change in classroom structures and actually even having a classroom in, in 2020. Will we see that uh, develop in a different way in, in 2021 and, and above in terms of uh, how we move forward into the future with, with classrooms being, you know, almost optional or not optional or how do you see that sort of evolving? Yeah, well, it did turn out that this block mode you can do digitally – through okay. Zoom, it's, um, it's not it's not quite like traditional online learning. There's a lot of uh, um, what people call asynchronous learning. Synchronous is where the teacher and the class are together at the same time. And um, with a lot of online learning that people do, they do recorded, they watch videos, they, they, they can choose the time when they do it. They're various digital support materials. They might have a relationship with a tutor. The way we've done it with our students who are normally on campus is they still have a teacher with them in a, in a classroom. It's just that the classroom is, is, is on Zoom. Look, it's gone very well. And the teachers have had to adapt. Um, it's, uh, it, it, and in some ways, apply even more skill because to have people's attention for a three-hour class, you have a break in the middle, but even, even with a break, when you're on Zoom, you probably have to be even more imaginative and use more kind of additional digital support stuff to make it work. But look, they've done remarkably well and they've made it work real well and the students have shown a high level of satisfaction. One of the advantages of the students is that they haven't had to travel to the campus, of course. I particularly like that many of them for the early classes in the day. Yeah. <laughs> the 8 o'clock or the 9 o'clock class, they couldn't go straight into their, their computer instead of having to, to uh, get on the bus or whatever they do. So, yeah, some, some of the students actually have said they prefer this, this form of learning, but um, some of them clearly want to come back onto campus. Look, yeah. it does give us an extra string for the bow, and uh, it also means that as we transition back 
two campus over the next semester. We don't have to bring everything back at once full time and we can do it in a very COVID safe way, staged and still do some stuff, you know, digitally and then monitor how it goes, monitor the students' reaction. And it just gives us more flexibility than we would otherwise have had. Obviously, one of the uh, one of the beauties of the block model uh, in, its, in its initial uh, implementation was the smallness of the classes and the fact that you did get that really one on one kind of situation. Uh, Zoom obviously has an effect on that. D- does Zoom now allow you to expand it into larger groups, or has that ruined the whole concept of, of what you tried to achieve initially with it? Look, you wouldn't want to go. You wouldn't want to go too large. I think the average size of our classes might have been slightly higher under Zoom than the face-to-face, but um, one of the reasons is that um, during the year, although we lost international students because of COVID, partly because the student experience was we were getting such positive feedback from the students, partly because of the state of the labour market and the, the lack of jobs available, we actually had a big increase in the enrolment of domestic students during the year. Oh, good. And uh, we had to cater for more students. But no, you, you look, you wouldn't want them to get too big. I think that individualised approach is important in building the relationship with the class and that's a very distinctive feature of the, of the method. Peter, in your time uh, as Vice-Chancellor, and that's been the last 10 years at, uh, at Vic Uni, what's the biggest step forward you think you've made? Is it is it uh, breaking down that kind of um, exclusivity of, uh, of uh, university studies? Yeah, look, that's a big aspect of the what we call the VUA. So we believe in supporting any student from any background to be successful. And because we're a dual sector university and we've got TAFE and higher ed students, the students in the west of Melbourne, from Wyndham there, from Melton, from all those municipalities in the west, we have a VU guarantee. We say that any student from any school in in, uh, in Wyndham and, uh, and elsewhere in the west of Melbourne uh, will guarantee a place, not necessarily in their preferred course. If they don't meet the entry standards for their most preferred course, we'll then find them another course which hopefully will enable them to pathway in due course into their preferred. Most of them get their preferred one, um, but some might, have, some might have to do a TAFE program as a pathway. Some some their preferred one is a TAFE program, um, but it's an individualised approach to support any student from any background uh, to be successful in this dual sector environment. And the mode of teaching, you know, this block mode in higher ed is also very student-centric yep. approach to support them to be successful, and in the vocational ed, we've we sort of reinvented our TAFE through the Victoria University Polytechnic, yep. which is our, which is the part of the university that, that teaches TAFE students, and they've modernised their teaching as well. They're using increasing amount of digital support. I mean, TAFE is mostly stuff you have to do on campus, and that's been harder off campus, and that's now, to a large extent, back on campus already in a COVID-safe kind of way. But, uh, but yeah, look, the whole university, whether it's in the vocational or the higher ed, Increasingly student-focused, building their, their skills for the 21st century, which comes partly from this small class, collaborative learning, interactive learning. That's the sort of uh, skill they need to develop, you know, problem-solving, teamwork, communication skills and so on. So, yeah, we, we, we reckon this has been a pretty transformational agenda to support any student from any background with, with state-of-the-art approaches to teaching and learning. And, yeah, that's, I think, what, what I am proud of. That's not to say that we haven't also made great strides in our research uh, and we've gone up the international league table in the world, which tend, tend to be measured on the basis of research and we're now 
number 56 in the world amongst the young universities, universities under the age of 50, yep. which is pretty good for a university that's just 30 years old. And um, and so we've got a number of areas of real strength in our research in which we're doing really world-class things as well. So that's something else to be proud of. The, uh, the changes in the curriculum offered to uh, students over the last 10 years, you would have seen enormous changes there, I would imagine. Yeah, well, the, the block mode itself is the big change. I think that the broader view now about what curriculum should be seeking to do is very in keeping with this block mode of teaching, and that is that what we need to do with our students is develop a broader set of skills and capabilities than probably was traditionally thought of in the university education generally thought about universities training to be people to be doctors or lawyers or accountants and developing those specific skills and knowledge and that's an important aspect of education but but increasingly what employers are looking for and what our students need is to be adaptable to be agile to be able to change what they're doing in a changing world and so the ability to adapt, the ability to uh, to, 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 to do critically analyse, to respond to change, these are all things that are increasingly shaping the curriculum. That will be an ongoing process uh, that my successor, yeah. Adam Shoemaker, will pick up and run with, but uh, we're, we're on a good path in that direction. What about, uh, we've talked a lot about the students and uh, and about the uh, the university as a, as a whole. What about the teaching fraternity? Has that changed much in 10 years? Yeah, look, um, I think that there used to be a fairly standard view of what an academic was, that they did a certain percentage of time on teaching, a certain percentage of time on research, a certain percentage of time on either, you know, engagement or, or service to the university, and you had an idea of a kind of a standard academic. I think we're in a much more differentiated world now Yep. where some people specialise more on the research, some people specialise more on the teaching. And the important thing is that they aspire to be excellent in whichever way they, that they go. And we develop career paths that can support them accordingly. And, uh, and yet they, they have to, if they're focusing on their teaching, they, they, they have to invest a lot in, in modern approaches of the kinds that we've been talking about. So yeah, there has been a lot of, lot of change and I'm really proud of the way that the staff have responded and, um, it's clear, you know, from from the feedback I've been getting from our students about how proud they are of being students of Victoria University that's adopting this revolutionary approach, that the staff are also proud that, uh, that this has happened. And it's been due to them really investing heavily in, in, in providing this outstanding opportunity for our students. It's interesting that uh, the way universities have grown geographically too, isn't it? I mean, used to be it was uh, straight in there into into that little sector and sort of precinct in in the heart of Melbourne City that you you went to uni. But now uh, you've got tentacles all around the place. Yeah, so we see ourselves first and foremost as the University of the West of Melbourne, and that means we do have activities in the western part of the city, and we've. We're now focusing our efforts, or will be from the time our new City West campus opens in Queen Street in 2022, and in that campus in the west of Melbourne, in the west of the city, with just one campus in the city. Then Footscray has always been, if you like, the the headquarters of the university. So the university goes back to 1916 when Footscray Tech, that was a predecessor institution, became Footscray Institute of Technology. There's been various 
mergers and tapes coming in and so on, then Victoria University, 1991, uh, but still based at Footscray. But we also have campuses at Sunshine, we have campuses at St Albans and uh, campus at Werribee. And um, with that huge growth in the outer west, I think that the future of our campus at Werribee is, is particularly exciting. And uh, we've been developing some really exciting plans there for a whole range of different things. We have some very exciting research going out there on that there in our Institute for Sustainability uh, for Liverpool Cities and Sustainable Industries in Liverpool Cities, where a whole range of research and engineering science, particularly, but, but also in arts and education, occur multidisciplinary research. We've got major centre of our research at Werribee. We've got an expanding amount of uh, TAFE teaching. I also think it can be a significant place for higher education in the future with this block mode of teaching. um, You you know, you could run individual blocks there even if you don't run whole uh, whole degrees. And I think uh, as time goes by, we could also see areas of specialisation growing up in different campuses. And we're working with the state government on a plan for what's called the Melbourne Centre for Civic Construction which would cover both TAFE and higher ed at Werribee that focuses on some of the big infrastructure programs that are happening in the west of Melbourne. We're developing quite a lot of the, of the trade skills out there at Werribee, but, but also we increasingly I think there'll be opportunities for things like engineering and project management and so on. Now that's something that we're working on the plans for and we're, we're hoping you've probably seen the the uh, paper that's come out about the, the city deal for the north and west of Melbourne. Yep. In that plan, um, we we see uh, we, we're seeking support from the state and federal government to invest significantly in infrastructure in in our Werribee campus to enable an expansion of that kind. So, wish us luck on that, and, and our friends in uh, Wyndham City Council and the and the city of Wyndham, I'm sure, will be big supporters of us as we seek that support from federal and state government. Another area of keen interest out there is, is um, around sustainability. I mentioned our Institute for Vulnerable Cities and Sustainable Industries. We've got our water treatment research out there. We see you know, waste recycling, those kinds of things, as another area of, uh, of, of specialisation that, uh, that we could grow in, uh, in Werribee. Yeah, some exciting plans for the future. Well, speaking of plans for the future, what does uh, retirement look like for Professor Peter Dawkins AO? Oh, well, I'm uh, very pleased to say I'll still be associated with the university. So yeah, one of the things that happened during my time was we established the Mitchell Institute for Education and Health Policy, which uh, was formed on the basis of a foundation grant or donation from Harold Mitchell, a businessman and entrepreneur and philanthropist. And uh, the Mitchell Institute has established a very strong reputation in influencing health and education policy, which which is an area of interest in mine. I'm a professor of economics and uh, the economics of education, particularly in education policy, of course, has been important as a vice chancellor. So I'll be joining the Mission Institute as, a, as an emeritus professor, uh, which is something that, that is awarded to people when they reach towards the end of their careers. But I'm <laughs> going to be very active in research and working with some of the younger people in there on some exciting education policy issues. Um, I'm also very pleased that, um, that I've been asked to be the chair of the Western Melbourne Economic Development Alliance, WMEDA, oh, which uh, Steve Brax has been the chair of up till now. 
and he's becoming the Chancellor, the Chair of the Council of Victoria University next year and feels that in that situation he should step down from being Chair of the Leader. I've been the Deputy, so so the Board endorsed me becoming the Chair, which I'll do in January next year. And Wamida is working on exciting plans for the major precincts in the Western Melbourne, in Footscray, in Sunshine, and based around Werribee. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I look forward to working with people in Wyndham, Kelly Grigsby, the CEO there, uh, Barb McClure with the City of Wyndham, on, uh, on fleshing out the precinct plan for Wyndham, you know, one of the fastest growing regions in Australia and the Victoria University, I think, some major, will be a major part of that plan. But there's a whole lot of other exciting things that happen and we'll meet a, is working on that uh, as we speak, and I'll be the chair of the board. So you're not you're not retiring really at all, are you? <laughs> oh, look, I'm calling it semi-retirement. Yes, and uh, uh, I think that you know I do I do want to have a bit more leisure as well. Ah, <laughs> uh, good. <laughs> and uh, so I'll be on the golf course a bit more. My wife's very keen that we do some more travel. That looks like it's going to have to be within Australia for the time being, but uh, in a year or two, who knows what might be possible. So, yeah. so uh, looking forward to a bit more leisure, but, uh, you know, very keen to remain active in our region. Beautiful. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your contribution, obviously, to the uh, to the university uh, in the last 10 years as the Vice-Chancellor, but uh, continued success and uh, have a great uh, Christmas and New Year. Thank you very much, Kevin. I've really enjoyed the interview and, uh, and thank you. Well, thanks to Pete and all the best to him for the future. And, of course, that future involves being still very heavily involved uh, in the western suburbs uh, in many roles, as he uh, pointed out there towards the end of that chat. But great to have him on the program and great to have the support of the Victoria University too. Great to have him in the western suburbs. My thanks to Barbara McClure, who puts together this podcast in terms of finding the people uh, that uh, that I talk to every week. And it's a joy for me because uh, I'm finding so much out about a city I've lived in for over 30 years uh, and people that I didn't know did things and now I do thanks to this podcast and I hope you've enjoyed uh, us bringing those stories to you so my thanks to Barb in particular who's helped uh, bring those people find those people firstly and then bring them to the table for us to have a chat and uh, and bring them to you and also to uh, Steve and Chris Fisher who do all the production side of this podcast too done a great job during this year and uh, the entire history of this podcast so my thanks to them hope you have a happy and safe Christmas as I said uh, jump on the website or the Facebook page for the committee for Wyndham to find out what they've done in 2020 and what they plan to do in 2021 and how you might be involved. Have a happy, safe Christmas and New Year and we'll talk to you in 2021 on the Talking Wyndham podcast. Thanks for listening. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page.